And one scientist now in Brisbane, one of the two capitals we have named after scientists, Professor Grant Hamilton is studying one of our icons, koalas, to help them survive. Now, Grant is not in the top 100 yet, but close. The question is, as for Thomas Brisbane, how did he start in science? Can you guess? Why do you not simply photograph koalas from the sky and count them that way? I'd love to be able to do that. It would make things so much easier. The trouble is that koalas evolved to be difficult to see. And so simply looking for them is a challenge. And there are experts who can do that and do it quite well from the ground. But what we've found is that using the heat signature, the thermal image actually comes through the canopy much more easily than the visual signal. So we can cover very large areas looking for the heat signature rather than trying to find these hidden grey dots. How do you know it's not a large parrot or squirrel? I doubt we'd find squirrels, but it's quite reasonable to say, would there be a large possum? Part of that is around shape. Part of that is around the particular thermal signature. But part of it, which some people might not like to hear, is that with any kind of survey that you do, there is an error. There is a margin of error whether you are looking for things with binoculars or whether you're looking at things with a drone. And so the question for me is not, is it perfect? It's, is it useful? Can we use those numbers to track the trajectory going up or down, depending on what's happening? And when you compare your observations using heat signals with counting on the ground, how do you perform? Based on the work that we've done, we have compared this against radio collared koalas. Our accuracy is around 85% to 100%. Now, there are going to be things that impact on that. If you have very dense canopy, it's going to be harder to get high accuracy. But in fact, those same things impact on human observers who are simply looking from the ground. And so we have to be aware once again that there is error in everything and we need to account for the error. But why is it so important to know the real numbers? Because you're planning, obviously, in New South Wales, they're looking at forming a very large koala park. So presumably they have to know what the population is. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, if we want to manage anything, if we want to do the right thing, instead of watch them slowly dwindle away to extinction, we have to understand what's there now and what's the effect of whatever we're doing. To do that, we need baseline numbers, we need to know what's there now, and we need to be able to connect our management actions to the outcomes. So we need to know what's going to be there in five years' time, in 10 years' time, and hopefully we're doing the right things. Did you do any measurements in Kangaroo Island, South Australia? Yeah, we certainly did. So after the fires that happened in 2019, 2020, we worked with people down there who provided us with drone data. And we looked at the impacts of the fires. And in some of the areas, koalas, the populations were devastated. And interestingly, in some of the other areas, they were fine. And that kind of granularity, that level of resolution, is quite difficult to get at speed with any other way. How does the system work? Because you're looking, what, for infrared signals of heat and you've got a drone up there looking down. So how does the signal get interpreted and maintained? 
we indeed put drones up and they cover a very large area. So compared to humans, they might cover 50 or 60 hectares. They're flying in what we call a lawnmower pattern. So it simply flies down, much the way you would mow your lawn. There's a bit of a crossover and it flies back again. What we're doing is looking for the signatures of any animals that are in the canopy. So that's where we're focusing, looking for the canopy animals. So the interesting thing about using thermal imagery is that it seems that what happens is that the thermal imagery is getting through the canopy a lot better than the visual signals get through. So that's a huge advantage for us because then that puts into train the idea that, well, one can develop a system to count those thermal signals. So what else could you study or have you studied up a tree or somehow in the canopy? Well, certainly one of the huge problems, conservation and biodiversity is in a really parlous state at the moment. And I guess I would argue that AI and technology are one of the really important things we need to get a hold of and to use well to help save the planet because it's going downhill fairly fast. So we can study anything that's sufficiently large and has the ecology so that we can detect them. So, for example, if something was living in a burrow, it's very hard to detect with thermal imagery. Incidentally, we don't have to use thermal imagery. If something is available to be photographed, for example, we can use camera traps, and that's a fairly widespread kind of technique. But the idea that we use there is we take that imagery and we create abundance estimates. We find out how many things are there. So we've looked, for example, at deer. And deer are a real problem have been for a while but it's emerging now into the consciousness of governments that we need to do things to control them because they're having massive impacts because when you're rewilding and these lovely shoots come up after you've got rid of the alien trees i'm thinking of scotland mainly where you've got plantations there for wood in other words for timber and when you're re-establishing the original natural systems with their peat bogs and so on, the deer move in and gobble up all the new shoots. Yeah, and it's a very difficult thing for people to understand because we have this popular Bambi conception, you know, they're cute. But they're a hoofed animal in Australia in a landscape that doesn't do well with hoofed animals and they destroy the vegetation, native vegetation, and whether it's in areas that are being rewilded, whether it's reforestation, or whether it's simply impacting on areas of native vegetation, they can do huge amounts of damage. Tell me in your evolution, your personal evolution, did you start off as a tech person or did you start off as an ecology person? I started off as a registered nurse. Tell me. A long time ago, I studied medicine, failed medicine, became a registered nurse, travelled the world and spent time working in Africa, for example, helping people. And I think the idea is very similar in that, honestly, I think what we need to be doing as scientists is helping. We need to be helping the environment and we need to be creating real impact on the ground. Creating knowledge is really important, but translating that knowledge and helping other people to create impact is fundamental. But how did you get the various skills? You've got the technical side, you've got the ecological side, and who knows what other? Curiosity and hard work. I think I've worked in a number of areas, and I think the thing to do is to create networks of like-minded people 
to think with a focus about how you want to make change. I was always a quantitative person, so I don't program AI, for example. I work with a colleague, Dr. Simon Denman, and he's really, really good at that. And I don't think there's anyone who can do every single part of a project. How do you put a team together that can achieve great things? That's one of the real skills I think we need to learn. And an inspiration for young people wanting to come up. In other words, you can do wonderful things by just sticking your head down and learning whatever requires. Absolutely. It's essential that what we do is get people involved in whatever way they can in solving these problems. And I think there's a much more nuanced view these days. Science is fundamental. We need to be working with science. But also we need to be working with communicators like you. We need to be creating impact in multiple different ways because, honestly, there is a timeline here and time is rapidly running out. We have to make change. Grant Hamilton is Professor of Ecology at QUT.